Uh, good morning. My name is JD. I'm a volunteer here at Renaissance. Uh, I want to take the time to invite you to read God's word with me. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, if you could turn to Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to start reading at verse 13. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. You can follow along on either of the screens. Matthew chapter 2, starting at verse 13, says this. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I have called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. He had gave the orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But he heard, but when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord for God's people. What's going on, everybody? My name is Jordan, uh, one of the pastors here. Full disclosure, that was my nephew that was the one screaming into the mic. <laughs> he gets it honestly, though, in my family. We obviously like the attention, so it's, he didn't have a say in the matter. Hey, one of the most helpful things I've done uh, in the years as I've gotten older is I try to ask myself good questions. Uh, I try to ask myself good questions, particularly when I'm faced with a decision that I have to make, uh, when I'm feeling anxious, when I'm nervous about something. Uh, here's one question that I've been pondering on. Uh, what would I do if I was confident that God was with me and that God was in control? In this moment, with this decision looming, uh, what would Jordan do? What would Jordan, how would Jordan operate? What decision would I make if I was supremely confident without a shadow of a doubt that God was in control of the entire situation and simultaneously that God's control of the situation included good plans for me? How would I parent uh, my son? Uh, how would I be as a husband? How would I be as a pastor? How would I be as a friend, a brother, uh, fill in the blank? What would my anxiety level look like? Uh, what would my plans look like if I was supremely confident that God was with me and that God was in control? Even better question, uh, what would your life look like? Uh, what would your look, life look like if you were totally 100% confident that God was in control of your situation? That God was not just in control, but that God's plans were good for you in the midst of that, uh, in the midst of that time? Now, what would our situations and decisions look like if we had that confidence? Now, as we approach uh, the series of Advent, 
um, and we approach this Christmas season, uh, my hope is that you and I would actually just grow more and more confident that God is in control and that God's plans for us include good things. Now, here's something that Scripture teaches us. Uh, you might not be Bible nerds. You might not know this word. Uh, it's a word called sovereignty. Uh, and sovereignty basically means that everything, all things, are under God's control. Uh, the dictionary would say, uh, all things are under God's rule and control, and that nothing happens without his direction or permission, and that at all times, good and bad, God is in control. Uh, when the Apostle Paul would describe what sovereignty is, he says like this in Ephesians 1 and 11, that God works out everything uh, in conformity with the purpose of his will, that God is in control. Now, we're in this series called Advent, and Advent means the arrival of a notable person, and we're looking at the arrival of Jesus, and specifically today, how Jesus' arrival impacts the way we see whether or not God is in control, and whether or not God's plans for us are good, and we would take a deeper look at the scripture to understand uh, God a little bit better, and we would leave a little bit more confident. Now, here's what I know to be true about you, because it's true about me, uh, and this doesn't matter if you're brand new to church. This doesn't matter if you've um, never heard, uh, never read a Bible. This is true of you, whether or not you've been to church a million times and uh, you've been a Christian for decades. All of us uh, need more and more confidence that God is in control. Now, there are specific times in our life when we need this more than others. Uh, the first time is when there is an unforeseen change in our circumstances. When life throws us a curveball, when life and life has a, a way of doing that where uh, we thought Life is going to go in one direction, and then it changes. And there's a change in our circumstances that we didn't see this one coming. There's a lot of things we can forecast. There's a lot of things we can predict. But this one right here, I didn't see this one coming. Now, it could be a relationship that uh, suddenly unraveled. Uh, it could be an apartment that you thought was going to come through and didn't come through. It could be in a job that you thought was ironclad, and all of a sudden you get notice that you're not getting brought on for another year. Maybe it's something you thought that you could put all your marbles in, and that didn't pan out. And in these moments, uh, when we have an unforeseen change in circumstances, these are some of the biggest times when we need, more than anything, not a change in our circumstances, but confidence that God is actually in control. That despite your change in circumstance, God is in control, and God's plans for us are good. Secondly, uh, we need to know this, that God is sovereign and God is in control, when we want God to move in a specific way, but we don't see how God is going to do it. Now, this is very true for you. If you've had a prayer that you've prayed for a while and you've thought about a situation for a long time, and if you could have changed it, you would have a long time ago, but you can't. And you've tried probably uh, dozens of different things to fix whatever situation it is, and you've prayed about it and you've thought about it, and you don't see how anything good can happen. You don't see how anything like this can resolve itself. <laughs> now, in these times... What we need ultimately is confidence that God is good and that God is with us and that God is in control. Thirdly, this one is probably my favorite one. When time is of the essence of a, a milestone or a major life decision. Uh, when time is of the essence on a decision or a life milestone. And this is true uh, when there, there is something that you want or for my singles, for someone that you want. Right? You thought Bay was going to be here at least in 2015. And cuffing season is rapidly approaching in 2016, and there's no one, uh, there's no one that's knocking on your door. Now, particularly when you're around family and other friends who pressure you to be at a certain 
place in life at a certain time, or if you make the mistake and you do stuff like me and you compare yourself to other people uh, who have X, Y, and Z by this time in life, uh, we start to feel like failures, uh, and we start to feel like God is really not concerned with us, that somehow maybe our name slipped through the crack and that God wasn't paying attention to us anymore, and there is something in your life, something or someone that you really want, uh, and it hasn't come yet, and uh, the clock is ticking. Time is of the essence, and you don't want this thing to delay any longer. And here's what you need in that time. Here's what you need. You need confidence that God is in control. Now, the last one is probably my favorite. It's uh, uh, when you and I are in situations um, where the risk of failure is great. If you are in a situation where the risk of failure is great, uh, any small thing that goes out of order uh, will send you into full panic mode and I know what this feels like when your life is on the line, when your family's on the line, when your relationship is on the line, when your um, apartment situation is on the line, when there is a, a risk of a big failure, like not some little kid game, like this is serious and I need something to happen. In those moments, uh, we need above anything else to know that God is in control. Because here's what happens when we don't know that God is in control. And if you're like me, you experience one of these uh, four things, uh, anxiety. Uh, fear, doubt, or apathy. You guys know that anxious feeling uh, that boils up in your stomach uh, when you're praying for something or you really want something to happen, and maybe this is why you stop praying uh, because it, nothing has changed just yet, and you're anxious. You're just really anxious about whatever's going on in your life, and you need this or that, and it just doesn't happen. Or fear. I remember talking to a guy yesterday. Uh, we were talking about how Renaissance got started and even in me telling him the story of what happened three years ago, I started to relive that fear in my stomach. I left my job, and I'm like, yo, I really think I'm stupid. Like, I really left my job to start a church, and there's a church of nine people in my living room. <laughs> and I remember the fear and actually just the complete freaking out, like, yo, did I just make the worst decision of my life? Did I just put myself in financial ruin for the next decade? Now, the thing that got me through that time and the thing that gets me through times now is not having everything figured out, but it's knowing and having confidence that despite what is going on around me, despite the things that could go wrong, that God is in control. And certainly doubt is something that we all deal with. Um, you guys are nice buttoned up Christians, but deep down, if I were to read your prayer journals, uh, doubt is a very real thing. We doubt that God is in control. We doubt that God loves us. We doubt that God cares for us. Uh, and, the, and the last one, apathy, is this one is, a, this one is a sneaky one. This one, if you don't pay attention to this one, it'll creep up and you won't even notice it. Apathy is when you start to get numb. You've been praying about something for so long, you've been thinking about something for so long that you just stop caring. And you think that it doesn't hurt anymore, and you think that, oh, well, it's not just that, it's not that big of a deal to me anymore, and no, wrong. That's a defense mechanism that you put up because you stopped believing that God was in control of the situation, and your defense mechanism was to stop caring about it. Get as numb as you could about it because you don't believe that God is in control, and you certainly don't think that God's plans for you are good. Now, I want to turn to the story that we see in Scripture that J.D. read a little while ago, and it is one of the best uh, stories uh, that we could ever examine to see how Advent, how the coming of Christ, God the Son, shows us and will give us confidence that God is with us and that God is in control. We come to the story 
Uh, there's three things we're going to see in this story. Uh, it doesn't matter. Number one, it doesn't matter how hopeless your case is. Number two, we should follow God wherever he leads. And number three, suffering does not mean that God is absent. Number one, uh, it doesn't matter how hopeless your case is. If God is really in control, right? If God is really in control, if God really has a plan that includes you, if God really is sovereign, then it really doesn't matter how hopeless your case is. Um, I love the beginning of the story in verse 13 in Matthew 2. It starts off like this. It says, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, Jesus is born and he's extremely young. Uh, and Jesus's parents get a word from an angel in a dream that there's a man named Herod that's trying to kill Jesus. So they escape to Egypt. And Herod was called Herod the Great. But he was by far not a great man. As a matter of fact, this dude Herod was actually a psychopath. That when he first got into power in 40 BC, the first thing he did was kill everybody in the previous uh, dynasty. This dude did some Red Wedding, Game of Thrones, like he was killing everybody. Uh, he took everybody out. Uh, and he was known for his massive amounts of brutality. Herod was a crazy king um, that actually there's like something in, in Israel at the time called the Sanhedrin. Uh, and it was like basically like the Supreme Court of Israel. And Herod didn't like the way 35 of them uh, were moving, so he killed them. He would go into entire villages and he would kill not just you, he would kill your entire family. And when scripture says that this is the Herod that was coming after you, the Herod that killed generals and army sergeants and uh, men and women in power, uh, it would have put the fear of God in you for real. So much so that Herod was so nasty and so crazy and so bloodthirsty that he killed some of his own sons. He was scared that his sons were going to come and try to take his power, so he had them killed. And it was a joke among other Roman emperors at the time that it's better to be Herod's pig than it is to be Herod's son because Herod didn't eat bacon. He didn't eat pork. Herod followed strict Jewish dietary laws even though he was killing all these different people and you were safer as a pig than you were as his own son. Now, this is the Herod that Scripture says is coming after Jesus. Now, why was he coming after Jesus? Um, it says it earlier in chapter 2. Uh, it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one that has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem was with him. Jesus comes as a threat to King Herod. And Herod says, and the scripture says that all of Jerusalem was with him. And this king... This bloodthirsty king who killed his own kids is coming after Jesus, an innocent little baby, a teen mom, and a carpenter. And here's what we see about the sovereignty of God in this scripture right here. It doesn't matter how hopeless your case is. It doesn't matter what the odds are. If God is for you, this is what Paul asked in Romans 8.31, if God is for you, if God is for you, then who could be against you? Now, if you were an odds maker, if you were a statistician and you were to say, what are the odds that Jesus would outlive this king? 
What are the odds that this king who has put, will put all of the resources of his kingdom to kill this little kid and his parents that he would make it out alive? Now, God lavishes uh, us with this beautiful story of showing us how in control he is, that he doesn't need a setup. He doesn't need the odds to be in his favor. He doesn't need stuff to look good on the outside in. He doesn't need uh, it to look like a promising situation. God creates out of nothing. God protects his plan when there is no, when there's nothing else in this world that would make it happen other than God. That's the first thing we see in the story. It doesn't matter how hopeless your case is. If it's true that God came as Jesus in, in the most innocent form, a baby is the most innocent, helpless thing on this planet. Uh, and they're helpless. They're defenseless. They don't even know what's going on. It's like the first six months of the kids' lives, all they do is like, you're happy if they just like can open their eyes and shake their head a little bit. Um, it's like they, they have no defense mechanisms whatsoever. There's nothing that can stop um, harm coming their way that they can stop on their own. They are defenseless. And this is what God shows us in the story, that God is in control. And because God is in control, it doesn't matter what the odds look like. You can have the armies of a psychopath king breathing down your neck, and you will be safe. Second thing we see uh, in this story uh, is not only it does not matter how hopeless our case is, uh, but because God is sovereign, because God is in control, uh, then we should follow wherever God leads us. If God is really in control. So we've asked this question, right? What would your life look like? What would my life look like? If you were totally convinced and confident that God was with you and that God was in control, uh, I think the first thing it would look like is we would trust, right? First thing that we would do, if God was truly confident, if we were truly confident that God was with us and that God was in control, we could trust God. And we wouldn't have to have the anxiety and the fear and the doubt and the apathy that so easily plagues us. Second thing is we should follow God wherever he leads I love how the story starts out and kind of going through verse 13 through 15 again. It says, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. Now, Confidence in God would naturally lead to you and I following God wherever he leads us. And this is especially true when you don't understand everything that's going to happen or you don't understand what the next five steps will be. Now, I've told you guys this, uh, this and every time I talk about it, I actually kind of get, uh, get ready to get into an argument again with my wife. But my pet peeve is when we're driving and I don't know what the next step is. Like if you're saying, oh, you're just going to go straight. I'm like, and? And then what? Straight, then what? Like, are you going to get on this highway? Okay, for how long? I like to know every single step that is going to happen. I don't like to be going in a direction and not knowing where we're going. Now, unfortunately, that has also spilled over to my spiritual life. I don't like to move in a direction unless I know what the next steps will be. And oftentimes, God calls us to move in directions. Uh, God calls us to do things. God calls us to leave this or stay here. Uh, and we don't know what the next step or 10 steps will be. And here's what life would look like for you and for me if we were confident that God was in control. It means that you and I would make decisions, sometimes really tough decisions, to follow God wherever he leads, especially, especially when you don't understand what the next five or 10 or the next steps are. 
Larry Osborne, he's a pastor in uh, San Diego, he gives a really great definition for what discipleship is. He basically boils down this big word of discipleship and says, basically, discipleship is this. You taking the next step of obedience. That's all it is. That's, that's all it is. You following Jesus, you being a disciple of Jesus, you following Jesus looks like this. You taking the next step of obedience, whatever that is. And the fact that God is in control doesn't negate the need for me and you to do whatever God calls us to do. Angel tells Joseph to get up and go to Egypt. He got up and went to Egypt. He didn't sit down and say, oh, yeah, well, God is in control, so he got us. We're just going to chill here and kick it for a couple days. He got up and he went. Now, here's my fear for some of you guys in this room, um, is that you are, you are paralyzed right now by indecision. And you have a decision, you have a leading that God is calling you to do, to do this or do that, uh, something that you know God is calling you to do, and you haven't done it yet uh, because you don't know how the story is going to go in steps five through ten or whatever the case is. You don't, you, you don't have everything figured out, so you are paralyzed from making that first step. And here's what I would love to challenge you with from this story, here we've seen the story. Listen, if God is really good and if God is really in control, then you and I can follow wherever he leads, especially when we don't know everything going forward. Uh, one of our members uh, posted something on Facebook the other, the other day. It was a really funny meme, and I'm going to share it. No, I'm kidding. It's not that. Um, I do like memes, though. But uh, uh, she shared a quote from a pastor in North Carolina. His name is J.D. Greer. Um, I, I love the quote. If you don't like it, then you can blame him. It's him saying it, not me. Um, but he talks about what uh, our life looks like so often uh, by us wanting to add God as like an addition, as an accessory to what we're doing, not that God would be a king. Here's what he says. He says, hey, I told you this, guys, before, I can't stand when people say that God is my co-pilot. By that, somebody means you need God's guidance, companionships, companionship, suggestions about where to go. I need to know how to avoid things, how to stay out of one thing or another when my car jams. I need him to fix it. And when you come to God, you don't come to get help in where you're going in life. You come and you say, um, I'm sorry, and, and what I told you is if God is your co-pilot, someone is in the wrong seat. Because when you come to God, you don't come to get help in where you're going in life. You come to him and say, it's your car and I stole it. So here are the keys to your car. I'm going to get in the back seat and you tell me where we're going. And it's a fundamentally different way of coming to God. When Jesus says that he is the first and the last, it means that he was there when it started and he's going to be the last one standing. And that also means that he's everything in the middle. If Jesus is the A to Z, then he's also the B through the Y. We've been predestined by the one who works out all things according to the counsel of his will, which means that there is nothing that is outside of the one who was first and last. Now, one of the litmus tests to how you and I answer the question, what would we do if we were confident that God was in control, is we would follow God wherever he led us, especially in dark places where we don't understand everything that's going on. Now, one of the things I love about this story is that part of the reason Herod wanted Jesus killed was because the, the wise men adequately said that Jesus is coming as a king. This Jesus that's coming, he's a king, not your buddy, not your homeboy, not uh, a roommate, this Jesus that comes is a king. And Herod understood sometimes better than we do. Uh, and God, uh, if we really trusted that God was in control, uh, we would follow him wherever he led. Now, the third one is uh, certainly the, the heaviest thing. So not only 
um, does the story show us that it doesn't matter how hopeless our case is, and we should follow him wherever God leads. Uh, it also shows us that suffering doesn't mean that God is absent. Suffering does not mean that God is absent. Now, in so many of our lives, uh, especially now around Christmas time, when you're gearing up to be around family and maybe somebody is not going to be there this year, or maybe it's the 10th year since someone is not there, and holidays are it's a miserable time for a lot of people, it's kind of this really weird place of extreme joy and also extreme sadness, and holidays can really, really dig that out uh, of people. And I wouldn't want anybody making a mistake to think that because there is suffering and because there is pain, that means that God is not there. Uh, here's what we see in the scripture, um, something I don't want us to miss on, because I really believe deep down inside, uh, we believe this really false notion that if God is with us, we won't feel pain. And that's what a lot of us believe. And even if you wouldn't say it like that, this is what we actually think, that if God was really with me, I wouldn't feel pain. But the arrival of Jesus shows us something different. Uh, when the Savior of the world came, people still felt ridiculous amounts of pain. It's something we see all over Scripture. Uh, verse 16, it says that when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then it was said through, um, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. At the time that Jesus was coming into the world, there were people, there were women weeping because their kids were killed. At the time that this Savior of the world, Emmanuel, God with us, was hitting the scene, there were women who uh, were bearing their kids. And the scripture says that they were refusing to be comforted. There was unfathomable pain. Listen, there was unfathomable pain that occurred simultaneously with the arrival of Jesus. Now, I've been to a lot of different funerals for a lot of different people in my life, uh, but I can't think of one that has been sadder than a funeral for a young child. It is a specific type of pain. It is a specific, uh, inaudible type of gasp that uh, you can feel in the room when a small child dies. And here's what it's saying. At the time that Jesus arrives, there is, un at the same time, unfathomable pain that is happening. And if you and I uh, were to grow in confidence that God is with us and that God is still in control, we need to know Listen, we need another category for God. We need to know that suffering does not mean that God is absent. Chapters later, years later in Jesus' life, uh, there was another group of people crying. Uh, and it wasn't parents crying uh, uh, because their small child had been killed. It was the mother of Jesus crying. It was Mary crying. It was Jesus' disciples crying when they saw their Lord and Savior being hung on a cross. And they thought, there's no way God is with this. We lost. It's over. Time to pack it up and go home. But Jesus, but God was accomplishing the salvation of the world through uh, a, a time of pure dismay and, and horror and sadness. And here's what we got to get to. Listen, if we're going to grow in confidence that God is in control, we have to know when we see this straight from this story that suffering does not mean that God is absent. Now, I've told you guys my story a whole, a whole bunch of times. I'm not going to get into it, but uh, I'm not trying to say that the pain is, is not real. I buried my wife when I was 29 years old, 
And the pain is real. Pain is real. I'm not trying to diminish the pain. And I'm not trying to say if you believe in God, then you won't feel pain. That's the opposite of what I'm saying. But I am saying this, that God sometimes in God's, uh, in his control of this world, sometimes he allows uh, unconscionable pain to happen. But it doesn't mean that he's not there. And it doesn't mean that he's not present. And it doesn't mean that he's not in control. Why does it happen? I don't have an answer, a great answer for that. But I do know. And I know this from personal experience and as well as many of the stories I've spoken to you and certainly from Scripture, that God, uh, that us experiencing suffering does not mean that God is absent. So that means two things. One, it means we need to have a different category by which we see God, that uh, we can't believe that if God loves us and if God is in control, then we won't feel pain. Because if that's your litmus test, if that's your category for God, we're going to be supremely disappointed with God early and often. But simultaneously, it also points to the hope in Jesus. And Advent is a time where we celebrate the the king who has come and will come again. And this is why Christians, they tell us in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 13, we do not mourn as those who have no hope. Uh, There's a much different uh, category for, for those who would claim to have faith in Jesus. We believe that Jesus is coming back and he is in the process of restoring all things. And one day there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. But in this world right here, as Jesus promises us, You will have trials and tribulations, but it doesn't mean that he's not there. Now, one of the biggest and most difficult things to do is to wait patiently in times of pain and suffering, to wait patiently. And it's much easier almost to have uh, faith in God. It's much easier to obey sometimes, but to wait patiently in times where there's pain and suffering is an incredibly difficult task, and none of us will ever get there unless we have confidence that God is actually in control and that God loves us. Now, what would give us that confidence? Uh, what would make us feel that God is actually with us and God is actually in control? Uh, one of the things that I love Uh, even about the gospel story, is uh, the way that we would encourage ourselves is not to point to one set of circumstances or another, but in the gospel itself. Um, And I love this story because it contrasts two different types of kings. You see King Herod, and you see Jesus. Herod comes in uh, complete horror, and he will do anything to preserve his name. He would do anything to preserve his own legacy, uh, so much so that he'll kill anybody that gets in his way. And he'll do nothing. He will do nothing to, to allow anybody to get in the way of his power and to preserve his name and his dominance. And this is the story is shows and highlights the lengths to which Herod will go to to preserve all of that. But here's the good news of Jesus. Jesus is a much different type of king. Uh, in this story, in the story of Advent and certainly in the gospel, we see the lengths that God went to preserve not his name, but to preserve us. Hebrews, it says that Jesus despising the cross, uh, but for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising his shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the Father. And here's what that means for you, and here's what that means for me, is that there is no length that God would go to, would not go to for us. And the story of Advent shows us the arrival of Jesus, who, come, who came not for himself, but for us. And that's the type of king that Jesus is. Uh, In his book uh, called Seeking Allah But Finding Jesus, um, the author Nabil Qureshi had some pretty profound insights. Uh, He was a Muslim that found faith in Jesus later in life, uh, and he was starting to consider Christianity, and he kind of records his prayer that he was praying as he was wrestling with the presentation of what Christianity was saying. 
Uh, and was it really true that God came to save us? Uh, did God really come in the form of Jesus to save us? And he says, man, but how is it conceivable that God, the highest being of all, would enter into this world? This world is filthy and sinful, no place for the one who deserves all the glory and all the praise. And how could I even begin to suggest that God, the magnificent and splendid creator, would enter into this world through the birth canal to have to eat and to grow fatigued and to sweat and to spill blood and finally be nailed to a cross? Doesn't God deserve infinitely more? His majesty is far greater than this. And then he asked this question that uh, gives me so much comfort. He says, but what if his majesty is not as important to him as his children are? This is the type of king Jesus is. This is why you can wait patiently even in suffering. God's majesty, Jesus' own body, is not as important to him as you are. So even in situations that are incredibly painful, you and I can wait patiently. Even in situations that are incredibly confusing or not knowing the next step, we can follow him. And even, certainly, when we don't know what's going on, we can have confidence that God is in control and we can trust him and we can let down our anxiety and our rampant search for control, knowing that God is with us. The cross says that Jesus' majesty is not as important to him as his children are, and that's what we find in Advent. There's nothing in all of creation, nothing in heaven or on earth that's more important to God than you and me. And this is the God that went to the cross for me and you. You don't, have to, you don't have to have fear. You don't have to have anxiety. You don't have to grow apathetic to what is going on in your life. You and I can have that confidence that God is with us and for us and that God is in control. Let me pray for us. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, you know the concerns in our hearts. You know the concerns uh, that we have. Uh, you know the heaviness of the season for many. Uh, you know the questions. You know the situations. You know it all. Uh, Father, help us to have confidence that you are in control. Help us to grow in confidence that you are with us and your plans uh, cannot be thwarted no matter how hopeless the case is. Today, God, help us to lean on you and put the weight of our lives on you and help us to find a safe place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.